When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, Tommy, it's been a busy week at TFL HQ, and we've got a lot of vehicles to talk about because, well, we've driven a lot of new and interesting vehicles. We've had a good week. Yeah, and the vehicles that we have recently had uh, that we reviewed are the uh, Mazda Miata, which is new, but nevertheless pretty cool. Uh, the Nissan Kicks just arrived. Uh, the VW Atlas Base Camp we took to Moab. We'll talk about that. We were in Florida driving the Mitsubishi Outlander and the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, and of course, just showed up the Infiniti QX55, which is the replacement for the, if you remember, the old FX55. But before we get to any of those, and we're going to kind of go through them really quick, give you our impressions, uh, let you know what we think about them. Let's talk about the Tesla road trip. And why did I do that? I don't know. Why did you do that? Because I needed a freaking vaccine shot. That's why. Oh, your second one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so here's what happened, guys. Uh, Tommy and I were driving the uh, Ridgeline from LA to... Uh, Colorado and of course if you do that you're gonna go through Vegas and Tommy's like hey I googled it you qualify uh, for a shot in Vegas and I was like really I'm that old <laughs> and apparently they were giving them away like uh, Tic Tacs in Vegas so I'm like can you schedule it and he goes yeah I can schedule it for the next day so you know we had to stop anyway spent the night I got my shot but they were clever Tommy you know why why is that because they knew that if I got my first shot there I have to come back for my second shot Right. So, you didn't want to fly back to Vegas. No, I got the Moderna shot at Walmart, and then I get to Colorado, and apparently here, uh, so I go to my pharmacy, I'm like, hey, can I get my second shot, right? And they're like, uh, we're giving shots to people 70 and older still. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what happened to like, you know, you know, being able to get the shot anywhere at any time? And they're like, nope. Uh, and so they said, you know, if you try rural America, or rural Colorado, you'll have more luck. Actually, they didn't say that. You know what they said? What? They said, try the conservative counties in Colorado. So you found one in Pueblo. I found one first in Grand Junction, which is like five hours away. Yep. So Pueblo is about, what, two and a half hours away? Three like hours three away? Like three hours away, yeah. yeah. At the Walmart Supercenter. Another Walmart, yep. Yeah, and we did the math. And it turns out that uh, to get to Pueblo from our offices, it's exactly 141 miles. So 282 miles round trip. Yeah, and Tesla says that if you uh, fully charge the Tesla Model Y Performance, the one that we have, right, you will get uh, 303 miles of range. Hmm. So I fully charged it. Guess how much the car said I had? Uh, 295. 289. Well, hold up for a second, though. Yeah. 
Because that's what the car said I had. Yes. But if you take 141 and multiply two, right? Uh huh. You should end up with 282 miles of range. So 289 should be enough to get me to Pueblo if I don't turn around and go get lunch or something and back. I wonder if the car says less than 300 because you have an old Model Y. You well, think we, ours is going to be a year old, so it might be. But you know, usually what they do is uh, they uh, do uh, a software upgrade, so it does change your. You know, or it could be because the batteries are, you know, getting degraded a little bit. I want to say we bought it when? In like July of 2020. But it's a 2020 model year, I think. Right, And is. officially the EPA says it'll go 291. Wow, so I was at 289. Yeah, so you were pretty much right at right. the EPA number. Anyway, so, you know, I got to go get this other shot, which, by the way, wasn't easy. Trying you know, At that time, there were three shots, right? Johnson, Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer. And I had to get the Moderna, and I, you know, I had to... I went to the pharmacist at, at um, this is such a messed up system. You'd think they'd like call you and say, hey, it's your turn, but no. So I went to the pharmacist at the Walmart here and I said, hey, how do I sign up for my second shot? And she said, you can't. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't? And there's no way online to sign up for a second shot. You basically have to sign up for a first shot. And the only place, like I said, I could find that first shot was in Pueblo at the Supercenter there. So I thought, hey, let's do this range test. So I get in the car, completely charge it, start driving. And with a Tesla, it's really smart, right? You can um, kind of tell it that you want to return to. So you could say, hey, I want to go out and then I want to come back to where I started from. Okay. And immediately, I believe the car told me that I would be down 15% of battery. Basically, by the time I got back to Boulder, it would be negative 15%. So you weren't going to make it there and back on the one charge? No. Hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? So even though, let's say, you know, I, the car says I have technically enough range. It depends how quick you drive, and I was going. This is all highway driving. Uh, it depends on the temperature outside. It was cold. Batteries like being like humans, like between 65 and 75, and it was 49 degrees, Tommy. Mm. Uh, it depends on traffic. But the great thing about a Tesla is, you know, a lot of people have driven that route, right? A lot of people have driven over the years, 10 years. The Tesla's been around from Boulder to Pueblo, and so it knows, you know, how much power you're going to use. So it should give you a pretty accurate, um, based on crowdsourcing, estimate on how far you can go. And was it right? Um, well, no, because in the end, basically, when I did the calculation, I figured out that it was about 10% under, or at least 30 miles short of what the EPA range was. Now, that EPA range we have found to be kind of suspect, right? Let's talk, let's talk about that, right? Because every manufacturer uh, does their own testing. You think the EPA does it, but they don't. They do the testing, and then they submit their results to the EPA, and then the EPA certifies it. And there are some cars, like, I'll give you a list, that, that kind of underestimate the range that they have, right? So I think in our testing, we found that the Jaguar I-Pace underestimates the range. No. Yeah. Not the I-Pace. Yeah, the I-Pace. No, I think, we, first of all, we've never done an I-Pace up our testing. I, I drove it. Yeah, but we haven't done it in, in our on our loop. Right. I don't think the... So the I-Pace, no, the I-Pace is rated at 210 miles of range, I believe, or uh, 220. I think it's like 230, isn't it now? Uh, it was when it first came out. And, you know, I, I think it goes considerably more than that. I'm not sure about the I-Pace. Okay, I think so, that's so, a bad example. All right, so let's, let's discard the I-Pace. How about the recent Mach-E? Yeah, I think the Mach-E is probably yeah, 234 is the I-Pace. Um, I think the Mach-E is uh, a little bit underrated. I think they're being conservative on their EPA estimated range. Yeah. So the one we had, we did run through a bunch of tests here in Colorado, and um, even when it was cold, it was pretty, pretty considerably underrating itself. We think. Yeah. Um, other vehicles that are underrating, we've read that the Taycan is supposed to be pretty conservative on its range estimate, but we haven't tested one in person. We How about the Volkswagen ID4? 
I don't know. We didn't have it for long enough. We only yeah. had it for 48 hours or something. But it, but it seems like the German manufacturers tend to underrate in general, and I know that's a generalization. Yeah, I agree. I think like the um, e-golf we had was pretty spot on, if not a little bit underrated. So our friend Alex from Alex Autos basically bought a Mach-E, and then he did this range test with it against uh, a Model Y, right? Yeah. And he found that the Model Y significantly underperformed the EPA-stated range. Compared to the Ford, yeah. And the Mach-E... Com- you know, considerably overperformed. Now, the Mach-E is his, and not that that matters, but it is his, and the Model Y was like one of his viewers. So, and he wasn't driving the Model Y, the viewer was driving the Model Y, and they kind of drove, you know, behind each other. So, um, I guess it's as close you're gonna get to, you know, test lab conditions. Uh, but, but there have been a lot of uh, reports that uh, some cars underestimated, some cars overestimate. Now, you know, in my test, so let's talk about what I did, right? Basically, um, I had to supercharge in Colorado Springs coming back from Pueblo. Why is that? Because I would have had negative, I think at that point it was like 12% battery if I kept going. So uh, the way that it works too is the car will tell you um, where the superchargers are. Yes. And if you're on a trip, it'll actually tell you for how long to stay at the superchargers. Yes, 15. And that's a great thing about Tesla. It doesn't like run the battery empty and then you got to sit there and fill it up from empty to 100%, which would take forever. It basically has you top off at these superchargers, or in my case, I, I needed to top off for 15 minutes in Colorado Springs. So why did you choose Colorado Springs and not Denver? Because I couldn't, first of all, uh, I couldn't find any superchargers or any chargers at all in Pueblo. Zero, zip, the, you know, the little map on the thing shows you where all the superchargers are? Yeah. On the car? Zero, none. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, Pueblo's not exactly a small city. I don't know what the population is. I could find that out pretty quickly, though. Um, and it's interesting to me that they don't have one Walmart at all. didn't have one, and Walmart usually has, like, the Electrify Americas, right? 111,000 as of 2019. Yeah, but the, so the way that the Tesla works, though, is that unless you have a special dongle, you can't Which use... Which I forgot here, by the way, so I wouldn't have been able to use the Walmart. If there had been one at Walmart, I wouldn't have been able to use it. You wouldn't have been able to use it anyways. You don't have, have the dongle. No, you have the wrong dongle. Oh. No, so so the way that it works is that the, uh, the oh, yeah, fast yeah you have to have that big dongle the fast chargers at Walmart the level three chargers yeah. um, you need a um, a conversion to go from Chatham mode to the Tesla standard or from the CCS to the Tesla standard and we don't have either of those because the Chatham one I think is like four hundred bucks and the CCS one I was reading is like eight hundred bucks whoa. Yeah, so pretty much we're stuck fast charging at least at but, the. Uh, but to be fair, Tommy, you can soup you can like charge a Tesla uh, using the other forms if you have the, the, the you know the, the right adapter, but you can't charge a non-Tesla at a supercharger. No, not currently. Right, so it, it, you're kind of you get the best of both worlds if you're willing to pay for it in a Tesla, but Tesla doesn't really officially open up their superchargers for the competitors. Even although, though a lot, Musk said he would do that, but although the interesting thing never is happened. when you're charging a Tesla at these third-party chargers like Electrify America, yeah. they even if you have the right dongle, it seems like the speeds are pretty slow. Oh, you think, that, you think they throttle it down? Well, I just don't think that they're designed to, to, to work take together, yeah. 200 kilowatts worth of power through those cables. So you found the supercharger in yeah, so I got Colorado to, Springs. I got the Pueblo. I had like 130 miles of range left. I drove back up. To, it goes, basically it goes Denver, Col- Castle Rock, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, right? That's the progression of cities when you're driving south. When you're driving north, it reverses itself. So when I got to Colorado Springs, I found the supercharger. Uh, I had like 68 miles of range left, which wouldn't have been enough to get me back to Boulder. Uh, and then usually the superchargers are right by the highway. This time it wasn't. It was pretty far off the highway. And it was at a public parking indoor facility 
And I couldn't, I, I was like looking for this, you know, usually you can tell, right? They've got these very prominent like charging stations, couldn't find them. And then I looked in my rearview mirror, I saw this Tesla pulling into this public parking structure. And that's where the map said it, you know, it was, it said it's on my right, but I didn't see it. So I came back in and surprise, surprise, I had to pay three bucks to get into the parking structure. And there was no attendant. People in the comments on the video, it's, by the way, it's up on TFL Car, they were saying like, hey, if you validate your parking sticker, it's free, but there was no booth attendant. So I don't know, first of all, there was no parking ticket. You just had to pay to let me in. And there was no booth attendant to actually validate anything. So I think that's wrong, you gotta pay. The interesting thing is, um Tesla sets the, the price for the supercharger, and that depends on, on the kind of jurisdiction in, in the county and the city they're at. So sometimes they charge you per kilowatt hour, which is a unit of electricity, and sometimes they charge you per minute of charging. Uh, they, they tend to try to charge per kilowatt hour. It's a little bit more fair, but it depends on the, the grid that they're plugged into. Uh, but because that this one was for some reason in a parking garage, you are also subject to the, uh, the cost of the garage. So I suspect if that garage wanted to, they could make it $6 or $5 or $1. Yeah, and so there was a woman parked next to me in a Model S, and I kind of went up to her and I said, hey, what's the scoop here? Because first I asked her if she was from Colorado Springs. She said, yeah, and she said they just recently upped it from $1 to $3. And I'm like, this sucks, right? And she said, you know, it's funny, uh, Tesla just built uh, a store with a repair facility in Colorado Springs. I'm like, why don't they send you there, right? Because if you've ever been to one of their stores slash service centers, they've got probably 50 superchargers, you know, for all the vehicles that are sitting out front, right? right. I'm like, hey, and she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know either. If I were Tesla, instead of, you know, pissing people off and sending them to a public pay garage, I'd take them to the store fill up there, and then while you're waiting, you probably like browsing new Teslas. But I think they're thinking that if they do that, Dad. So we have one of those in... Um, Louisville. Uh, Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I'm not sure if those are publicly accessible. I mean, I imagine the problem would be then you've got all these Tesla drivers who are, who are charging up. Well, the folks... And buying new Teslas. They're not going to be buying new Teslas. <laughs> Whereas the folks whose cars are being fixed... How about buying Tesla swag? Do they sell Tesla swag? I'm not sure if you can buy one at a store. That's a great question. Whereas all the folks whose Tesla's being fixed, uh, you know, and they're trying to just keep them plugged in, uh, they might run out of stalls. I could see that being a potential problem. With that uh, I don't know, dude. I think there's a reason that, like, all the traditional manufacturers have their dealerships build out charging stations before they start selling electric cars, right, that people can use publicly. So remember when the Leaf came out, you can actually go and charge the Leaf at any Nissan dealership with the Mach-E. You can go and charge at any Ford dealership. Yeah. Uh-huh. What? You really think that people are going to Nissan dealerships to yes, charge Yes, yes, because they're desperate. Because I they, really don't. chargers aren't that ubiquitous, dude. I, mean, that I, I think if you... If you're out of power and there's a Nissan dealer with a free charger, hell yeah, you're there. I think if you went to a Nissan Leaf yeah. uh, or a Nissan dealer with the Leaf yeah. and you said, hey, can I borrow your charger? I think there'd be some weird looks and then I'm not sure they'd let you do it. Because oh, yeah, I'm not... We, uh, we, we've done it. I've done it here. Yeah. I've, I've done it at the local Nissan dealership. It's on the side of the building. Isn't it a level two charger? It's a level two. Well, you're going to be there for four. That well, doesn't count. A level two charger doesn't count. You'd well, be there dude, for this, eight this hours. Like, this was like charge. five years ago. We did this. I don't know if, if they if they've upgraded. You know, this I was think when the if you've got, if we you tried it. A, it was a level two. It worked. It was free. If you have a fast charger at a Nissan dealer, I highly doubt that you'd be letting people just go in there for free and charge. I think that knowing Nissan. Um, I think that a lot of salesmen would be very confused because maybe they don't know the rules. A lot of salesmen would be happy if you sit there. They could, they could, you know, get you to go buy that new uh, Frontier that's coming, or uh, maybe you know, trade up. I think you're, <laughs> from a Leaf you're to being a Maxima. Very optimistic. <laughs> what can I do to get you in that Maxima today? <laughs> I can see one dusty charger at the back of the dealership, and they'd be like, "No, that's not open to the public." I, I can uh, anyway, picture that in my mind. Anyway, so I was grumpy because I had to pay this three bucks. 
But the nice thing about Tesla is, of course, you don't have to do the credit card thing like you do with, you know, Electrify America and all the other other ones, right? It just plugs in and starts charging. And there are different versions. I think there's version one, two, and three now of the superchargers. Uh, mine went up to 137 kilowatts. That was the peak charging rate. Keep in mind, I was down to like 20% of the battery. Well, that was what the car would accept. Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't, I don't know if that. I mean, the car is supposed to accept up to 250, right? The, was it a level two or a level three charger? I, do you know? I don't know. It, I mean, sorry, was it a was it version, the two, version or, two or version three? I don't three know. Charger? It doesn't say. You don't know. How do you know? Is there yeah, a way? I think there's a way to tell. Is there? Yeah. Uh, well, it's anyway, either by the, the design or what the car says. I think it was the version two because it went up to 137. There was a, the nice thing is it's kind of downtown, so I went downtown. And the bad thing was, um, like I said, I had to pay, and then I had to find it, and then uh, you know I went downtown, found a coffee shop, got myself an iced tea, which I, you know, it's my drink of choice, and some banana bread, and then I started feeling much happier because the sun was out. Uh, and when I got back, I had spent basically ten bucks for charging, gotten about 130 miles of range. Okay. Uh, and three bucks, so 13 bucks to get like 100, you know, and the car was back up to just over 220 or something. From 68, so maybe I got more like 150 miles of range. So I'm looking at the Tesla Supercharger yeah, in Colorado Springs network here. Mm -hmm. They kind of have, um, and I, you know, people in the in the video are like, well, why didn't you try driving all the way home? And it was a Friday night, Friday afternoon, and there's construction on I-25, and there's no pull-offs because basically they take it down to one lane. And if I run out of juice in a construction zone in the middle of Friday afternoon traffic it was not going to be pretty. So I wasn't going to like, you know, see if that negative 13% battery was real. Uh, because here's the thing, right, Tommy? A lot of uh, the competitors at Tesla only allow you to use like 80% of the battery, right? Okay. So like the, the bottom 10% you can't use and the top 10% you can't use. And that's to maintain battery life. Tesla allows you to actually go in using the app or the car and then basically slide a little slider to show how much of the battery you want to use. And so, because Tesla's not very transparent about this, when you slide it to 100, people in the comments are saying, well, you're really not using 100%. Even if you think you're using 100% of the battery, there's still a buffer there, and so you can go farther than the car says. Uh, and that's why they were saying you should have kept driving and you know, basically ran out of juice, uh, which I'd love to do, actually. I'd love to, uh, we want to do that comparison with the ID4, but it, this was just not the right trip after getting you know, a vaccine by myself in a construction zone i was not about to you know chance running out of juice and causing the biggest traffic backup in denver history so what was your overall takeaway it was fine it was good you know i loved autopilot we don't have full self-driving uh autopilot makes a, a, a you know a stress a, a trip like this much stress free as possible so uh, you know it doesn't the downside of autopilot is if you're in the slow lane and you set autopilot and you hit a car that's going slower than the speed limit, and I was doing the speed limit the whole time, which by the way is 75, so I was going pretty quick. Uh, and if you've got autopilot on and you want to change lanes, go in the fast lane to pass the car, then what ends up happening is autopilot, when you hit the turn signal, disengages and you got to turn it back on, right? Okay. Uh, and then if you're in the fast lane and you're doing the speed limit and there's a car behind you and you want to move over to let them by, once again, when you you know change lanes, it disengages, and you spend a lot of time turning it off and on, off and on. It just get it gets old. With full self driving, at least on the highway, the car would actually change lanes for you. So, but I mean, what what was your overall impression of the charging experience? Was it a hard thing? 
I mean, no, it was painless. It was it was affordable to get 150 miles for 10 bucks. You know, it's cheaper than if I had filled up with gas, with gas getting expensive again. Uh, and, you know, I, I basically spent 20 minutes there. You know, the amount of time it took me to walk to the coffee shop, order a iced tea and some banana bread and walk back. It was fine. And I needed the break anyway. I, I, you know, I didn't have lunch because I... You know, I kind of just got my shot over lunch, and uh, yeah, it was great. So it was, it, was, it was a good experience. Yeah, it was a good experience, except for the three dollar. Except for you know, look, I pulled off the highway, and there was a come and go right there, right. Okay. So if I was in an internal combustion engine, right, I could have just filled up and kept going. In a couple minutes. Yeah, less than that, and then you know, I was trying to avoid. I was trying. It was like three thirty, so I was trying to get to Denver before. At, I mean, it was probably too late by then, but it turned into like a half hour instead of a five minute stop. But then again, I got to get, you know, a nice. A little treat. So I think a lot of people would be very frustrated with that, though. Yeah, maybe. I think a lot of people wouldn't put up with the half-hour stop for a 280-mile trip. Yeah, I mean, part of it was you know having to pay to get in the garage. That was very, that was very disappointing. Uh, but I mean, in the other perspective, but, if you're not in a rush, then maybe people don't care about the. But I think you know you put your finger on it the other day. We were talking about what the name, put a headline on that video, right? And you said uh, something like, "Well, it was about range anxiety. You know, you can still get range anxiety in a Tesla." And, and the overall feeling I had when I was driving to uh, get my shot and back was, you know, when will I run out of power? You can get range anxiety in a gas car, though, too. You know what I mean? It's not just a, an electric car thing. I think, most, I think it's I think, much, much less prevalent. I think most cars would have, would have like, uh, made that round trip. And if they had made the round trip, I could have pulled off anywhere along the route. To yes, it would have been. Yeah. I mean, pretty much you only had one gas station to choose from on your route, which was in a parking garage. I Whereas in a gas car, you've got every I, gas station. Look, look, there's a supercharger in when you get to Denver, right? I think there might be one in Castle Rock. I don't know if you can look. So, But the problem is that that, that highway, I-25, between Colorado Springs and Denver is completely torn up. Uh, and there's only, you know, no exits and no, like, emergency lanes. So it, it adds a lot of stress thinking that you're going to run out of juice in a construction zone with no pullover lane. So there's a couple in Centennial, it looks like. Yeah. And the way it works is on the supercharger finder, you've got the little red markers, which mm -hmm. are superchargers. But then you also got the gray ones, which are called destination chargers. And these are super slow chargers with uh, not a lot of power output. And there was none of that, in, 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 as far as I could tell, in Pueblo. Zero, zip. Yeah, I think Pueblo is pretty... Pretty a desert for charging. Pretty barren. Yeah. Um, there's, the, there's one in Salida. Yeah. Which is interesting. <laughs> which is pretty far from Pueblo. Uh, there's one in Trinidad, though. <laughs> um, so that's uh, kind of on the border with yeah. New Mexico. And then, of course, there's uh, one in Vegas as well. There's, there, that's there, the Vegas in New Mexico, not in yes. Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. There's the original to be, Vegas. They're supposed to be spaced out in such a way where if you're like on a trip going south down 25, right. you've got enough range to make it in between the chargers. Whether or not that actually happens is another story, but that's kind of the idea. So, so like I said, yeah, I mean, uh, let, let, me, let me sum this up. So the driving experience, actually driving in the Model Y was magnificent. I loved how the car performs. It's very comfortable. Uh, it's a very rewarding car to drive. I was watch, watching a video with Tim Allen where he was talking about his Model 3 and he called it an electric golf cart. I think that's very unfair. I think the car is much more than that. Who is Tim Allen? Uh, Home Improvements. Oh. Did you ever watch that I, show? I did not Last watch Man that Last Man Standing. Show. I don't know what that is either. All right, well, that's, yeah, I he's, apologize. Like a, he's like a television slash movie star who's got a big car collection. And a Peterson did a video about his car collection. Okay, and, and he said it was like a golf cart? Yeah, he had a Model 3, and he said it was like an electric golf cart. Hmm. Uh, that's very good in a straight line. Uh, and I think that's unfair. The car, 
is really a technological tour de force. Um, uh, it's very comfortable. It's very roomy. It's a really a good road trip car. I, I could. I was very happy. You know, I did miss Apple CarPlay, um, but uh, you know, I, I I may do with Tesla system. It's not as it's not as it's not as powerful. But their software is really good. You know, the, the, the climate control works really well. Autopilot worked really well. Um, I was waving to another guy in a Model Three with with a red Model Three. So there's a there's the community, right? It, it was good. So let's move on. Let's talk about more cars. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the cars that, that, that we've just recently driven. Um, well, should we start with uh, the Mazda Miata or should we save that for the end? It doesn't matter. Let's save it for the end. Sure. I mean, you let's... You want to talk about it. Well... I think that's what people are going to care about, so I want you to listen to this podcast. Okay, I'm, let's I'm talk about... selfish. Let's talk about the kicks. Let's talk about the Nissan Kicks, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Nissan Kicks. Now, the Nissan Kicks was just recently updated. It's the super small crossover made by Nissan. It's a, a front-wheel drive-only vehicle with a little four-cylinder engine and a continuously variable transmission, but it's meant to be kind of the entry-level Nissan uh, to compete with vehicles like the Toyota CHR, perhaps maybe the Kona, and it's the a lot of... The venue? The venue on the really small end, yeah. yep. And it is um, refreshed. It's got... a few good attributes. I think it's a good looking little car. It's got a nice nice interior for the most part. Very good infotainment system. And the one we have on loan right now is an SR. It comes in at $26,000. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, just be, I'll cut to the chase, dude. I think it's uh, style over substance. Why is that? Uh, because, you know, uh, look, I was, I was thinking about this. Why is it in that class of vehicle? That little, it's, a, it's like sub-subcompact, right? It's the smallest class there is. Yep. Why can't you get uh, a four-wheel drive car outside of the Ford EcoSport. That's the only one that comes in four-wheel drive. Well, you can. What's, what's, what, what's the other one? In that subcompact class, you've got the Jeep Renegade. This is smaller than a Renegade. It's, it's not much smaller than a Renegade, though. I think if we look at the overall length, it's going to be pretty similar to a Renegade. What is, what, like, I, I never know what these, you know, there's been so much blurring. It used to be like subcompact, compact, midsize, full-size, right? And now everybody's looking for white space, so the cars are kind of in between those different ones. And this one seems to me like, like a very small car, like a bit smaller than a Renegade. The Renegade seems like it has a lot more room. You're well, looking at, looking at total length? According to total length, yeah. the Kicks is actually slightly bigger really? than the Renegade. 169.1 versus 166.6 in the Jeep. So it's kind of in that, that small... So, so to me, a crossover without four-wheel drive, uh, you know, is, uh, is like... Is like a, Electric car without range. What's the point? Well, there's a lot of folks in California. There's a lot of folks in uh, Florida. I mean, these small crossovers have really just replaced a hatchback, right? And people live with hatchbacks without four-wheel drive. The, but the thing about crossovers that made them popular is they had four-wheel drive, and they were tall so you could see above all the sedans. That I, was what made them really popular. And they had a lot of room. In non-snowy environments, though, I think people love these things because they hold a lot of stuff. They sit taller. Uh, I, I, like someone in Florida is not going to care about four-wheel drive. Why would you spend the money? Hurricane? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So um, the, the kicks without four-wheel so drive... So you think you're going to sell it to half the country, right? All the people who live above the snow belt are going to be like, I'm going to take that off my list right away. Sure. I mean, I understand, I understand Look, that. And, and you think I'm being dramatic. Okay, so I live in Denver. We live in Denver, right? And that's certainly very snowy, right? Just put snow tires but on. But I always, I always you know, find it interesting when people come here and they move here and they're like, hey, I've got a two-wheel drive truck, you know, uh, if I put on snow tires and a bunch of sand in the back, 
you know, how will that do? And I'll be like, first of all, sell it before you come here because two-wheel drive vehicles are worthless here. They really are. No, two-wheel drive, two drive trucks are like the total extreme though, Dad. They're, That's pretty, like, they're pretty worthless here. Two-wheel drive trucks. <laughs> or if you keep it, right, you will sell it the first winter because you'll realize just how, how um, you know, how much you really need four-wheel or all-wheel drive. First anyway, of all, so it was just, we beat that dead horse. So let's keep going. But two-wheel drive trucks do not work in the snow regardless. Whereas front-wheel drive with no tires, Zach's selling his all-wheel drive. He's, he's going to get a front-wheel drive car. Yeah, but that's because he's got access to our press fleet. But he's so, just going to put snow tires on so it. So when he's got, when he's got, you know, he can borrow any of the cars that we have here. He's never going to be short of it. That's, that's, he's got a luxury that most people don't have. I think a front-wheel drive with snow tires will, will get you more places than all-wheel drive with all seasons, which is how everybody drives their cars in Colorado anyways. Any, okay, so let's not, let's get back to the kick. So the good point, right? It, it, it's, it was this very kind of like electric blue color, which is nice. It's, you know, it's got these unique speakers in the head grill. It's got kind of some of this orange... Headrest. Headrest. It's yeah. got this orange material that kind of is proliferated throughout the interior. Uh, um, and um, yeah, yeah, because the power plant and the CVT uh, make for a really, truly dull driving experience. It is very slow, but look at the pricing. <laughs> 19500 starting in the S, 21.3 for the SV, 21.94 well, well, for the SR. You combine that with you know a mile above sea level, and you have a vehicle that I, I would I would wager that outside of the Crosstrek XV Hybrid, which they no longer make, if I remember right, this is probably one of the slowest cars that we've ever tested. This, we we haven't is... we haven't we still have it here. We haven't done a zero to sixty, but I'm going to have Nathan do one today. What's your guess? I mean, it's going to be faster than walking, which is I think what people <laughs> care about when they buy this, this segment. It's it's slow. So your so your headline for your review would be the the new Nissan Kicks faster than walking. It is a slow car. I've I've no doubt that well, it's. What's a, what's your guess? Well, it doesn't matter. No, I'm guess. You're not buying this car. I'm going to say thirteen seconds. I'm going to say fourteen three. But I mean, it's quick enough to get on the highway. What else do you need? It's a little baby car. You don't need to go that quick in it. <laughs> it's probably probably faster than my Mini. So I mean, it's it's. <laughs> It's fine. I mean, I don't. Once again, it's it's not a particularly fun driving experience. It does have some cool kind of funky things, like it's got an instrument cluster where half of it's digital and then the other half is analog. It's got a very good eight-inch touchscreen display, which works excellent. I think it holds a ton of stuff. Look, I agree. I think I think there are. Let's not be so. I shouldn't be so critical. There are some really good points to it. I think it actually looks really good. It's stylish, like I said. Uh, the seats are comfortable. Um, you know. It does have room to spare, um, and at nineteen thousand dollars, right? I'd be like all over it. But at twenty-seven thousand dollars, or twenty-eight when you add in destination and, and tax and such, that's a lot of money for a car. You know that that is you know, better than walking. I mean, here's the thing: that none of those little baby crossovers are really all that great to drive. The Kona is pretty darn good. The Kona is. That's yeah, pretty but darn good it's, it's got the dual clutch. Right, for off-roading it's no good, but you know, for the most part, the Kona is really good. And if you don't get the dual clutch, you end up with the CVT anyways. Um, the CHR is really pretty bad to drive, and it the CHR is actually, I think, more stylish than the Kicks, but has miserable backseat room. Yeah, I, it, it is just you know, it's very much that one is very much like a European car. I, I do like the little venue. I think the venue is a really good little car. The venue is a big box. Yeah, that's an excellent vehicle. Now how about the Renegade? It's not great either. Mm. That does not drive. <laughs> does not drive very well either. I haven't driven an Echo Sport, so I can't speak to to that little guy. Um, I mean, it's not exactly. Well, we have had the Echo Sport. I've never driven one. We, we had it. Yeah, I've never been in one. 
they're, none of these are particularly that dynamic. Yeah, let's face it, none of these. And, and, and here's the thing, why can't somebody like build in that, in that category like an exciting, fun, sexy, and good driving car? Because you're right, none of these, well, okay, the Kona and the Venue are okay. Um, the, the Echo Sport is... <laughs> Uh, oh, the Trailblazer's we could good, whole, actually. We could, we could do a, a Trailblazer. I like the Trailblazer. trailblazer. We could do a it's whole really episode on the Echo Sport, um, which would not make Ford happy, I suspect. So um, we'll uh, we'll save that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's like I say, for under twenty thousand, uh, my um, my 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 level of of like of um, critique goes down a lot. But at twenty seven thousand, Tommy, that is a lot of money. I yeah, mean, the one we have is is expensive. But we always get the we always get the ones with all the bells and whistles, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we are always going to get uh, the the more expensive ones. And I don't know, you know, if this is important to you guys, but I think it, to some people it is. It's made in Mexico, uh, and you know, take that for what it is. It, if that's something you care about, then that is something that uh, you know people use as as a buying decision. So the next vehicle we've driven recently is the Volkswagen Atlas Base Camp, the three-row Atlas, and the Base Camp is modeled after this really cool concept called the Base Camp, and they kind of wanted to bring some of that flair into the production version, but they did miss the mark in some ways, uh, as in it it's it's got the look, but it doesn't have any more capability, and it's quite expensive for what you get. Yeah, I would say, you know, you're always better off to uh, over-perform and under-promise, and with the concept vehicle, they basically created this really almost like Land Cruiser competing off-roader. Uh, and then when the actual vehicle came out, pretty much all the stuff that was on the concept vehicle went away except for the name. Is that fair? No, I think it's got wheels. I mean, the wheels are the same, are very cool. It's got these really cool wheels. Yeah, but those are a dealer option. You, you do have to get them after, after, after the fact. That's a good point. Yeah. It's got the cool kind of cladding on the side, but it doesn't have any additional suspension uh, lift. It, it's, it, it's an appearance package that you get from the dealer. Right. Well, and, and the concept was like an off-roader that you get from the factory. And it yeah. turned into an appearance package that you buy from the dealer. I mean, it's not going to be for true off-roaders, right? But for someone who wants a little bit more design so, yeah, on their so, Atlas? Yeah, so if you want, you know, I mean, look, the Atlas is a very well-engineered you know, engineered and well-selling car. It kind of goes right down the middle of what, you know, American buyers with families are looking for, a three-row crossover uh, with German driving characteristics. And so it's very popular. And so, you know, they're selling quite a few of them. So if you want one that's not like your neighbors, go for the base camp. Right. But I do you, wish they had made it more like the concept, though, because yeah. the concept was very cool. Yeah, and that's, maybe that's us, right? I'm, I'm sure most people didn't see the concept, so I'm sure Volkswagen's like, hey, the concept was just something that we threw out there right. as, a, as a style, design, potential, but it's not something that most buyers were familiar with. Uh, and so let's give them an option to make one look off-roady. Yeah, and I, for someone that just wants to look but isn't actually going to take it into the dirt, why not? If you have the change to spend, what is it, a couple hundred bucks per wheel plus tires <laughs> and a couple of stickers and then cladding on the side, then yeah, go for it. And let's face it, there are other companies that are doing something very similar to that. I'll give you an example like the uh, the twins, right, the Telluride. Uh, you know, that, that's another one where um, they're really out there trying to create an off-road image for it, but yet when you get it at the dealership, um, you're not going to be able to get an, an off-road one. Even though the commercial is of one going up, I think it was Hell's Gate, right? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Was that, was that yeah. Was I think it? that was the Sorrento. 
Not the Sorrento. Yeah, I think Kia did the Sorrento up Hell's Gate. Was it? Yeah. Maybe it was the Sorrento. Maybe you're right. It wasn't the Telluride. But anyway, there's, there's, there's commercials of the Telluride, you know. There it is, yeah. <laughs> Kia Sorrento attempts Hell's Gate in Moab. Right, but there are there are commercials <laughs> of the Telluride, you know. Yeah, Driving sure. off-road. And when we say, yes, you can, look, I don't want to be critical. You can take these things on dirt roads. It's just that, you know, when it goes beyond dirt road. Well, like all the Telluride marketing stuff is on like Moab and stuff. Yeah. And well, because they want to market it as the outdoorsy SUV for folks who enjoy rock crawling or rock climbing and rafting and, you know, they, they, they're, they're selling the lifestyle rather than but, the car. Where's your jacket on? Because it's cold in here. <laughs> it's snowing outside. <laughs> well, I appreciate, you know, the, you promoting TFL car and TFL truck. It's freezing out there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so you know, we should talk about that, right? There's been this kind of push by the manufacturers to jump on the overlanding bandwagon. Why is that bad? No, it's not bad. But you know, as journalists, as automotive journalists, you know, I, my background is in journalism. <laughs> uh, you know, I have my master's degree in broadcast journalism. I used to be a TV reporter, print reporter. You know, I look at my job differently than like most people on YouTube, right? Most people on YouTube look at their job as, you know creating interesting content that gets a lot of kicks, which we also clicks, which we also try to do. But mainly one of our jobs is to hold the manufacturers accountable uh, and you know when they say something, then actually put whatever they're saying to the test, right? Right. Well, I don't think and so. That's different than like, hey, you know, I've got this off-roady uh, base camp. Let's go, you know, hook it up to a camper and take it off-road in Moab, right? I yeah, mean, it, we're, we're it's always not trying to that. take it beyond that. Um, have we tested Telluride off-road? I, I don't think I've ever driven one. I drove it off-road. Oh, okay. Was it good? Uh, we drove it off-road to Moab. I, I got permission from those guys to take it to Moab, which was, you know, thank you. It's becoming very hard now for us to actually get permission to do these things with vehicles that we get from the manufacturer. So you have to give them kudos for actually letting me do that. Uh, and it was what you'd expect. It was, you know, a, a typical crossover going off-road. So sure, it, you could take it off-road. It'll, you know, it'll do a dirt road. It might do a little bit of off-roading, but you certainly wouldn't want to, you know, take fins and things. Uh, you know, you just, you just wouldn't. You would either overheat the transmission or you would do damage to the vehicle. And that's the thing, right? It's not just the engineering behind the, the transmission and all the other stuff that makes it off-road worthy, like the tires and the approach and departure angles. It's also the fact that a lot of these vehicles, you know, if you hit a rock with them, low-hanging, expensive things will break. I think it's um, a very good-looking SUV, though. Certainly, yeah, the base camp is a really good-looking bit. Yeah. Certainly excellent on the road, which is uh, a good thing, I think, for most folks. I, I, did, take, I did actually take the, um, very briefly, for maybe 15, 20 minutes, I took the, the Palisade off-road with its competition, like the Subaru Ascent they had there. Um, I think they may have had an Atlas there as well, and it seemed to perform pretty well in that brief test compared to the Ascent. Yeah, and to be fair, the base camp did really well. Nathan towed his camper with it to Moab. He said it towed like a dream, uh, it got good fuel economy. So yeah, it's an on-road car that, that, that has off-road looks. I think that's a fair critique. All right, let's keep going down our list. Right. So we recently drove the Mitsubishi Outlander in Florida. The new one. So Mitsubishi has redone the Outlander. It's actually been uh, developed in partnership with Nissan, so it shares the same basic architecture as the Rogue. However, the Outlander has a standard three-row um, seating capability, seating for seven, 
It's uh, got a very futuristic design and it's much better than the old one. Now, currently you can only buy the gasoline version of the Outlander in the States, but there is going to be a PHEV coming, a plug-in hybrid vehicle. And overall, I think it was a pretty good vehicle. It's competing, of course, in a very competitive class against stuff like the Toyota RAV4 and the Honda CRV, as well as its brother, the, the, the Nissan Rogue. But if you want a lot of space in a good-looking SUV, the Outlander is very competitive. Whoa. Um, wow. Uh, well, what's so wrong with it? I mean, it was, it was pretty good. It starts at $25,750. How, how much was ours? Ours was loaded. It was $40. Yeah. It was a lot of money. I agree. But, you know, there's I... Lot, I mean, there's a lot of car you can get for forty k. So let's start with the styling. So they, you know, they changed the styling and they went to what initially the Cherokee pioneered, which was, you know, the, the headlights not being the big round eyes of a car, but being the little squinty kind of lights that you'd normally see as turn signals, right? Yep. Those became the headlights, and the big round lights are actually driving lights, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that 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 is certainly... Um, well, it's a little different, though. Polarizing styling. It's got those dynamic shield kind of um, That's what they call it, the dynamic shield language. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot going on stylistically in that car. I mean, there's a lot of lines intersecting in a lot of different ways. I think it's good. I think it's a pretty good-looking car. It's got a totally flat roof, which they are very proud of. I love of. the flat roof. I thought that was cool. They, they kind of went back to their heritage. Um, and uh, the interior is really nice. I mean... Exactly. You know. I mean, it felt like a $40,000 interior. You had pleated leather. You had a um, 12.3-inch you know, cluster, I, I, I think. But i got to tell you, I, I could not find a reason... Um, to buy it, you know, outside of buying a Rogue. So to me, it's basically the Rogue drivetrain, which has been tuned worse than the Rogue in terms of its driving dynamics. Well, it's not exactly like the Rogue is a Porsche Cayman, though, to begin then, with. Then my critique is especially painful. Well, it's fine, Dad. I mean, it drives like a th like a three-row crossover. The, the 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 interior is really nice. And I'm not sure. And they got be, uh, you know, they got rid of the third row in the Rogue. Right, and the reason is it's so tiny. It's Tom. almost useless, but that one time you need it because you've got kids is the one time you're going to wish you bought the Mitsubishi Outlander. If the kids are maybe two years old. Any, <laughs> it could be a little bigger, older Anything than bigger two. than like a, a two or three year old is not going to be able to get back there. No. It's no, that time. No, you can get I, an eight I, year old I took back up that, there. I went back there. I took up the whole seat plus, you know, if there was room in the back, I would have, I would have kind of overflowed into that as well. It's not so bad. <laughs> I think the infotainment is worse than the Nissan. It has a pretty bad infotainment system. But it does have the digital cluster, the one we had, which was pretty decent to use. It has the Mitsubishi's first ever shift-by-wire system. Look, and I, if I sound disappointed, and I was listening to Consumer Reports, you know, report. Have you driven the old one? The old one is really pretty bad. I haven't driven the old one. It's but really pretty so, bad. So I, I was listening, I listened to my friends. I, they're not our friends, but I like their podcast, the Consumer Reports podcast. And one of the guy said, and he's right, he's like, you know, he's, he, what you're doing is you're comparing the Mitsubishi of old to the Mitsubishi of new, right? So the Mitsubishi of old used to do these really cool off-roaders, not to mention, you know, the rally cars. Uh, and so the company in my brain has this, you know, this really great heritage of doing really fun and innovative and interesting engineering uh, in a way that, you know, was lustworthy back in when I was growing up. Uh, you know, you think about like the Evos of the world, you think about, you know, some of their big uh, SUVs. These were really cool cars. The Pajero, right, took, taken on Dakar. 
uh, and so th that's that's what I go. That's the baggage I carry with me. And then when you put me in Outlander, I'm like, what happened? I, how did this, I, how yes. did this become this run-of-the-mill everyday? But we were talking, you know, car that you rent at the airport. We had dinner with the the, the managers of the PR department. Yeah, great, great guys. Great guys, and yeah. they were saying that unfortunately that Mitsubishi is probably not coming back. Yes, remember? Yes. And I agree. That's a shame. I would love an Evo or a Pajero. Yeah, they said. Like, then they're right. They said, you know, you can't live in the past, and then they're right. But that doesn't mean I don't bring along all that luggage. Well, yes, but if you can look past that, the new Outlander is so much better than the old one. Uh, just in the design, the interior quality, the infotainment's better. And I, I would I get it over RAV4 if I had kids and I, I was on a budget for a three-row? Yeah, maybe I would because I think it's more usable than like a, a pilot. It's easier to park. Uh, the only other vehicle I think in that class you can get a three-row currently is a Tiguan. It's an option in the Tiguan. Um, so it's not not an incredible car, but not 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 bad. All right, how about the Eclipse Cross? They, well, what they did to that one is they basically took that kind of funky uh, little spoiler that they had across the back, right, with the with the light, and got rid of it and made it kind of more traditional. I think that the Eclipse Cross, yes, drives nicely. Okay, I do think it drives really nicely. It's got a one five, I think it is turbocharged four. I like the turbo. The turbo is good. And really, the steering is pretty good. Uh, it's got those really nice paddle shifters on it, and yeah, honestly, it's not a bad driving car. The interior is very bad. I think the interior <laughs> is like Subaru from eight years ago. I can't, can't even find a picture of it on their website. They're like really trying to hide it here. <laughs> here it is. The interior quality is really pretty shocking, um, and I also think it's pretty ugly, especially from every angle. You don't like, you don't like the shield the no. styling? No, the, the front's one. okay, actually. The front's okay. The, 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 the suspension the, tuning is good. The all-wheel drive system is good. It's got that like those different modes, which are pretty cool. I mean, it feels the most sporty, at least compared to the Outlander. The, the issue with both of these, in my mind, in terms of styling, right, is they're taller than they are wider. Uh, I think if you want to make a car look good, you make it wider than it is taller. These are very upright. and not I wouldn't say they're skinny cars, but they're very narrow cars and very tall cars. Uh, and that's hard to have road presence when you have that look to it. Mm. You know? Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. So Mitsubishi, it's like the difference between like a basketball player of old and a basketball. You know, the old guys used to be these tall, thin guys, right? Now basketball players are like they're muscly and they're. You know what I mean? It's kind of that difference. Don't ask me why. It just changed. Mitsubishi's touting on their website that it competes with the Escape, the Compass, and the CX-5. So does that mean that the Outlander then is in the bigger class? Yeah. I don't think so, though. Yeah, I know they, they kind of they, it's you like, feel a like they're in the class. same. Once again, I think the class thing is becoming irrelevant now. It's, yeah, it's, that's so a good many, point. You know what I mean? I think I think you just look at the price point and compare it to cars in that same price point versus comparing it to cars in that same you know segment. Um, yeah, I think the all-wheel drive system felt really good driving the um, Eclipse Cross. We didn't have a chance to take it off road. I'd like to both, do that. They both have those little electronic center locks, which was reminiscent. Uh, Nathan took the Eclipse Cross out off road on Goldmine Hill a few years ago. And even with the CBT, I think it did much better, if I remember, than the equivalent Subaru. So that was really cool to see. Um, it's uh, it's not a bad driving car at all. I really like the way it, it handled. I just don't think the interior is very good. I don't think the back seat was very good um, or any of the infotainment. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I don't, right, what I don't about really the know the market. Let's move on. <laughs> Infiniti QX55. Yeah, so that just showed up at our office today. So, that is the new Infiniti luxury SUV with the coupe-like back. Yeah, so Infiniti says, and I think they're right, that they invented that. You know, people think of maybe like the X6 or the X4 or, you know, one of the Audi versions of, of their crossover coupes. But I think Infiniti was the first with the FX to, to basically take a crossover and make it into a coupe, right? So the FX, especially in the second, in incarnation had those like like shark's teeth remember that 
right? It had a big old, I think it was a 300 horsepower power plant. You know, it was, it was pretty uh, limited in size on the inside, but it was like, it was as sporty as you can get with a, um, with a, with a, with a crossover. It was a really cool little car. Uh, and then, 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 of course, the Germans picked it up and it became a thing. So I think this is the, like the coupe version of the QX50, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, but it's its own model. Yeah, and I, first of all, it is a very good-looking car. It's its a very good-looking car. I think they nailed the looks. Yeah, from the outside and the inside, ours has got the red leather, the, the taillights are just gorgeous. Just the overall shape of it could, really... Could, couldn't agree more. Those taillights are... The segmented taillights with those little segments are a little reminiscent of the new RX, mm -hmm. Lexus, but even done better, I think. Um, the platform is very well sorted, so the steering is excellent, the suspension tuning is a little firm, but very dynamic in the way it drives. Uh, the engine goes like hell, um, but the, the CV, CVT is always a little weird, especially so with the combination of the CVT lag and the turbo lag, gives so you like a weird rubber band thing. So we were driving it today, uh, and I asked you this question, and I'll ask you again. If you're going to have a CVT that emulates an automatic, why not just do an automatic? Fuel economy. That's what you said, and I'm like, yeah, fuel economy. I'm like, I mean, it says a lot when you're when you're making the CVT, which is known for you know having silky smooth shifts, actually have like automatic shifts where you can feel a shift, which it really doesn't need to do. So I'm like, if you're going to emulate the real thing, just get the real thing. Um, once once again, is it going to be one of those things that people care about in this class? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, because the old one, the old FX was, you know, it was fast and, you know, it, it, it had like this buzz around it because people thought this is one badass. And the second you put a CVT in, I, I think in that performance buyer class, you've just lost every one of them. But I think, that, I think anybody who is like looking at a, like a, like a uh, X4 or an X6 or a, uh, was it the CLS Coupe? I, I, I'm a little, those are always a little tricky. Right or the Audi Sportbacks, right? The, the the CL GL the GLC. GLC. Yeah, if anybody's looking at the GLC category, these are people who are looking for not just style and not just you know like panache, but also performance. And the second you put a CVT in, you just lost that whole buyer group. Well, let's. I, I don't think the, I don't think the, you know that buyer is like, hey, I'm going to buy this really sexy, fast-looking car because it's got fuel economy that you know rocks my world. The the issue is that I think that old Infinity, whatever that was, the uh, FX, FX, yeah, didn't have a CVT. No, but I think it had horrible fuel economy. It may have, yeah. I think it 15! did have. I think it did have in the V8 form. Fifteen. But dude, it had behind. a V8. Yeah, but 15. A V8. This, this has a four-cylinder turbo, which you like, which I think is a little coarse. But and I bet this one is faster than the V8 power. Oh, I FX. bet you it isn't. I bet you it isn't. I will. I will. I will buy you lunch if it's faster. Really? But yeah. Can you Google it? Yeah. I will. I will say it is. It is not anywhere near as quick. FX 45. Even going back zero, to the zero, right. 60. So what was the FX? Um, was it FX45? They were like, you know, they changed all their names, right? It used to be F, and then it went to M, and now it's Q, which doesn't help, by the way, Infinity. Sorry. 315 horsepower. Right. What, what was 0 to 60? Is even able... To, uh, He's not, he, Tommy doesn't like being wrong, so this no, is going to take a long time. No, I'm looking for 6.3. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. And, and, and what is the uh, current QX55? According to... Uh, who was that? Motor Trend <coughs> or something? QXD. Yeah. We'll do it. We can test it ourselves. But once again, Car and Driver said 6.3. On both of them? On the old one. Okay. What does it say on the new one? Uh, let's see. Okay. Ta da! And the answer is. Uh, I can't find it. <laughs> 6.4. 
So it's 0.1 off of the old QX55. So it's 0.1 of a second faster and it gets 10 worse miles per gallon combined. Yeah, but it's also how it gets there. What do you mean it's how it gets there? You're gonna get there at some point. Yeah, yeah. what it sounds like and what it feels like. This thing is like the size of a modern day, probably RAV4 maybe, and it gets 15 MPG. That's why you get the CVT. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm not sure those buyers, I'm not sure that's what, hey, hey, Hey Jim or Jan, you won't believe the fuel economy of my new QX55. It'll rock your world. So I think I think they the would QX, say that if it had a V8. QX55 would do the quarter in 15 seconds flat. Yeah. The the new one will do it in 15 seconds flat. Sorry, the, the old one will do 15 and the new one will do 15. There you go. Maybe that's that's uh, that's your commercial there, uh, Infinity. You can go and actually uh, you know show off that the new four-cylinder turbo is as quick as the uh, old. V8. I like the old one. The old one was very cool, but it's. Uh, Look, I think people in this class, they're cross-shopping it with like an X3 or uh, whatever, an X4. And they, they see it and they're like, well, um, you know, I mean, do, do you think the average buyer of a four-cylinder X4 is really going to care about what the transmission is? I, 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 maybe, you know, maybe like dude, the M4. I, I, feel, I feel really bad for some of the Infinity PR people because I kind of feel like... It's uh, a good-looking car. I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like these cars are not designed for the American market, or there's there's just a real disconnect, I think, between what, it's a good car, Look, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing the car, it's fine, but it just seems to have completely missed the mark for what the buyer, in my mind, wants. It's like Nissan is building cars for a European buyer or for a you know Japanese buyer, but this is not, in this segment, this is not what uh, these buyers want. So I could I, be wrong. I will agree the dual infotainment screens are not working in 2021, um, in my opinion. But the interior quality is good. It's got this nice red leather. It has really good quality. You're not, but but all, they all do, Tommy. You, you can't compete on quality against the other premium brands, including Lexus, because you, you're not going to be any better or worse. I mean, that's just given in, in this price point. I still think that there's... 57K, dude. There's there's still a perception... That's tested. 57,000. There's still a perception, though, that the Japanese version will be more reliable than the German version. You think? I think that people think that Infiniti is more reliable than, like, the equivalent Mercedes. I don't know. We don't do those kinds of tests. But um, steering wheel is very good. The gauge cluster is okay. Uh, the seats are excellent. The dual screen is looking a little old now. And it is expensive. I agree. 57 or whatever ours is equipped is a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's so the, la money. the last car that we have this week is... Uh, the Mazda Miata. Yeah, the MX-5 um, RF. Miata's always the answer, Tommy. It is. And it's an excellent car. The one we have is the Grand Touring, equipped uh, $36,000 as we had tested it. Six-speed manual transmission. The RF is the retractable fastback, so it's got the Targa panel in the center that folds into the rear of the car. Two-liter four-cylinder turbo, 181 horsepower. Goes like stink. Seven as tested. 36, yeah. 36, yeah. Goes like stink. It's got the um, seven-inch Mazda infotainment system, and it's just, it's brilliant. It's an amazing so, little car. So let's go, let's, let's talk about the good, okay? Yep. I drove it yesterday to get a really bad haircut, so that's why I've got this cowlick thing going okay. on. Okay. Uh, so sorry, can't blame the car for that. Uh, it is one of the most engaging, one of the most fun, one of the most enjoyable, one of the most rewarding cars to drive. Uh, for some reason, everybody wants to race it. I don't know why. Uh, people see it and they think it's quick. It's it's you know it's it's okay. It feels a lot quicker than it is, right? Yep. But um, you know it's not going to win any drag races. Uh, but as a vehicle that like you know fits you like a glove and then kind of develops you in this classic British sports car love, which is, you know, what the British cars said. It was based on like Lotus Salon, lightweightness, everything you need, nothing you don't, right? Uh, we're based on, this is 
the perfect example of that, right? I mean, what the, the magic of Amiata is they took the, the mystique and beauty and grace uh, and driving fun of a British sports car and made it reliable, and it still has that in spades. Uh, transmission is wonderful, you know, very direct, uh, short shifts, uh, clutch is, you know, the perfect engagement, throttle response is, is you know, tip straight on, uh, styling, especially in that candy apple red, I think that is the nicest vehicle in that color period right that, that is like if you want if you if you ask me what's the nicest most beautiful car color you can get it would be the miata in that candy apple red it, it ours isn't that color but i love that color every time i see it my heart starts to flutter uh, uh you know ergonomics are okay seats are comfortable uh, and I absolutely don't fit, Tommy. It's such a frustrating thing. You if fit. I absolutely, you fit. I absolutely do not fit. You're just being dramatic. I, I, no, I'm not being. I absolutely do not fit. If they had just made it, why, 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 Mazda? Couldn't you make it just two inches bigger? Because then you would sacrifice. For, can I give you the bad now? So first of all, we had the top down because it was cold, right? Yes. And the whole time, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, even though I didn't have to do this, top because up. I had the top down. I'm driving it with my head you know, bent down because, not because I have to, because I feel like there's something that's about to crush my head. It is that claustrophobic. Lean the seat back a little. I'm like this. And because, of course, that top of that A-pillow, I can't see, so it's like that. You can't lean it back. You do this really awkward and eventually um, unfruitful dance of trying to figure out how far can I lean it while scooting it forward so that the back of the seat hits the back of the, you know, the car, right? So you, you can scoot it forward and you can lean it back or you can push it back and lean it forward and there's no position in there that's comfortable to drive. Worst thing by far is radio control and those stupid cup holders. Oh my God, are the cup holders stupid? They stick out behind your elbow and every time I went to adjust the, 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 the radio volume, I hit my funny bone on those stupid ass cup holders, right? And so the whole way home, my, my arm, I lost feeling in my arm because I would forget, I would go to adjust the volume, I would hit my elbow, I would you know lose feeling in my arm and then I would do it again like a stupid dog, like Pavlov's dog. Five minutes later. So which 2003 Buick do you own? No. Curi very curious to hear that. He's th Dad, the point of this car is it's, it's, it is a compromised car, but it's a sports car. It's built for the ultimate in driving pleasure. I disagree with it's too small. Dave Coleman, who's one of the, the big engineers at Mazda, says he can get anyone to fit, and he can get pretty much anyone to fit comfortably in a Miata if I you don't. adjust the seat right. You would fit, Dad. You're no, just, I don't fit. I absolutely do not you're fit. You're very finicky about your seating position. I do. If you were to scoot the seat forward an inch and then recline it back another two inches, you drive like a 90-year-old man, Dad, with your seat bolt upright. Okay, you so just I'm, lean back I'm, a little bit. I'm 6'2", and, you know... I'm 6'1", I fit fine. Yeah, I have but, no yeah, problems. Yeah, but I've got probably another 60 pounds on you, if not more. Look. If they were to make you, it bigger. You, look, you see me in the car and you start laughing. I'm like a cork in a bottle. I'm I mean, still laughing because you, 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 you complain you nonstop. Even, look, you You're just like constantly complaining. Even, oh, it's too even, small. You don't even that have car to ask is too me. small. You Why didn't they make it two inches even, longer? You don't even have to ask me, Tommy. You and the reason I'm fine. complaining is because I love the car so much. It's like the forbidden fruit, you know? It's Co like, it's like would have it killed you, Mazda, to make it two inches yes, longer? Yes, because they did do one. It was called the Fiat, and it sucked. It wasn't no, the very Fiat good was the car. Exact, the Fiat the was... The 124 was the same car, but two inches yeah, longer. And, and where, was that, where was that extra space? It, it wasn't was, in the, inside the car. It was on the... It, they made the nose and the... Well, they did the, one. The NC was much bigger than the ND, and nobody liked the NC. Oh, the NC's too big. It's too heavy. It's too slow. This is well, not well, a Miata. Well, no, not too big. You said it. Too heavy, too slow. That's a whole different ball of wax. It was too big, too. No, too heavy, too slow. Well, why was it heavy? 
Because it was bigger. Because, because no, it was no, physically well, because bigger. Because the engine wasn't, you know, no. This is this car was like no. It, I'm like, serious, like, dude. If the German, if you gave that to a German engineer, he would look at that and he would just scratch his. He would like, warum, warum? Why did you, you know, why? And it, I think it has to do with. It's cultural, Tommy. It really is. Let's face it. You know, Germans and Swedes are big, and they make cars for big people. Japanese, even though they're getting taller, are still a little bit shorter. You know, and and they feel comfortable in smaller cars. I think I think it, it's a culture. I'm not trying to be like you know stereotypical here, but for the most part, I fit into German and Swedish cars, and I. The cars I inevitably have trouble with are Japanese cars. I think that Americans are... Modern ones, not old ones. I think that Americans are way too obsessed the with the MX... size of their cars. They're way too obsessed with it. But, I mean, that classic Mini I have fits in a 10 foot by 4 foot by 4 foot box. And in the UK, but that I was... in that classic Mini, I actually have headroom. You, you were miserable in the 200 drive, mile drive we did. Well, yeah, but 200 miles! 200 I'm miles is nothing in that car. <laughs> But my point is, in the UK, Dad, that was a family-oriented car. Eight hours, and I'm miserable. That was a family... It wasn't eight hours. That was a family-oriented <laughs> car. It was a whole car. day. It was, it was, it was half a day in a classic a whole, Mini. It was a whole and day. And you complained for the next three weeks. It was a whole weeks. day. Um, uh, that was a family-oriented car. The Miata is a fine size. I mean, why do you need three acres of room for your cup holders? I don't need three. I need two inches. Is it that much? It, two inches. Yeah, but then you can like, you get two inches more in the F-Type and all oh, the seat is uncomfortable in the F-Type. It, it pokes is. me the in seat, the back. It, it does poke you in the back. There's, it does. Uh, there's always something with Americans when it comes to getting bigger cars. No, no, no. Just it's... love the little car for what it is and enjoy it for what it is. I really think that it's a it's it's a fine size. You can get comfortable in it and just, all right, guys, just enjoy I, I, it. I, I think any big and tall guys out there, please chime in. You know, this is coming from somebody whose perspective is, you know, rail thin. Uh, and just please chime in and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just, it's just too, too claustrophobic, Tommy. It's perfect. It's I think it's the perfect size. It's uh, this, is, this is the guy who thinks the world's smallest car is the most comfortable car. The, the Mini, right? It's not a most comfortable. I, I'm not saying it's a comfortable car. I'm just saying I that mean, look, face, it's look, plenty people, big look, for people, what it people is. People in post post-war Britain were, you know, just lucky enough, let's talk about that, we're just lucky enough to have food on the table and you make it seem like, hey honey, I won the lottery, let's go out and buy a Mini. You know who was buying Minis? Like the Rolling Stones were buying Minis because they were cool and they were cars that showed off, you know, how how hip and cool you were and they were fast and they were fun to drive. All that is true. Nobody ever bought a Mini because they said, you know what, this is a great family no, car. It's a different perspective. In Europe, they, they, they bought it because it was cheap and it was Europe, affordable and fun. we just had this conversation and you were totally on board with Jeremy. In Europe, they buy the smallest car they can live with. Which is not a Mini. In America, we buy the biggest car we can afford. Uh, and that's a different mentality. No, 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 no. I guess Post-war Britain was not the biggest car, the smallest Jeremy, car. That's modern. That's, that's modern, right? Back when the Mini was being sold, it wasn't like this is, you know, this, this was a luxury thing, so we're going to buy the biggest car we can live with. This was like, we can barely afford a car, and this thing is dirt cheap. So what year did they stop making them? How post-war are you talking? 95, 96. 2000. No, I don't think the first year, gen first gen mini stopped production in the year two thousand. I hardly call nineteen ninety eight. The company went bankrupt and they BMW bought bankrupt. them. The BMW bought them, dude. No. They weren't they weren't they weren't like thriving I'm, in the year in two thousand. In Europe, they still dude. build. Do they build the Volkswagen up in Europe? Dude, the reason they kept building them was because they didn't have any money to develop them. They, nobody was buying them. The company was about to go bankrupt, and Vol BMW bought them out of receivership, basically.
the reason they kept building them, they stopped, we're going to stop building them what, in the 1980s. What was, the, what was the first thing BMW did and has done since? They were going to what, stop what, building them in the 1980s, yeah. and then they started selling the hell out of them in Japan, and they kept the production <laughs> like spinal tap. through the 90s. It's true that people loved them in the 90s and 2000s. They died, they were almost dead in the 80s. What was the first thing BMW did with them? They ruined them. They made them bigger. Yes, and how are they selling now? They Poorly. Made big, they made them bigger. The best-selling Mini in the in America for a while there, and I still think the best-selling generation of Mini of the new era look, look, was first, the first, first generation, first, first the R50. First of all, look. First of all, let's let's. I agree with you, all right, but that's because it's a Mini. I think a Mini should be Mini. That's the, it's in the name, right? It's a small car. You know what you're getting. That's a whole different thing than Miata, all right. Well, what was the original Mi Mi Miata based off of? What, what was the Lotus Elan? Was the Lotus Elan a 19 foot long luxury barge, or was it a small, nimble sports car? Right. I get. I tell me, I get all that, but I'm just saying, if you <laughs> that's fine. If you wanna, if if you if you're good as a company, in which I, I suspect Mazda is, you know. Let's say not being able to sell to 100% of potential buyers, but let's say, let's call it, let's be generous and call it 75%, and you want to leave 25% of the money on the table, then go for it. But there'll be companies who'll take advantage of that and will pick up those additional buyers because people will go to the Mazda dealership, they'll sit in the thing and they'll be like, I love this car, but if it was two inches bigger, I'd buy it. But since it's not, I'm going to go and cross shop it against, you know, and pick the, the competitor. No one is cross shopping a Miata with a Mustang convertible. Yes, they those, are. I think those oh. are two very different buyers. Oh. Someone who and wants a Miata. Sell a, a boatload more Mustangs, which by the way cost the same as our Miata, right? Sure. You can get a Mustang convertible for the same prices, and they're selling. I would say I would, but I don't. Look up. Do me a favor. Look I, up I Mazda Miata sales. I, I'm sure it's like a thousand a year, or some some tiny number. Yeah. Well, because mean, it's a purest car. Like that's that's fine. They sell four hundred thousand and drive yourself out of business. They sell four hundred thousand Rav fours. It doesn't mean that I'm out looking to buy a Rav four. I'm just saying, Tommy. It's you know, if you're willing to leave all that money on the table, then go ahead. But there's and, already and Mustangs. Much, much Aren't respect. you happy that you can buy the no, last? No, I'm not because I can't. Car. It's, a, it's a beautiful car that I don't. From like it. from an enthusiast standpoint, if like the the Mustang isn't particularly fun to drive. The uh, at least in standard convertible form. The Challenger isn't particularly fun to drive. They go very fast in a straight line, but they're not as zippy. They're not it's as just, nimble. It's all meaningless if I can't, if I, you know, if I can't fit in the You car. can fit in I, it. You no, just gotta get a little bit more creative. No. You're just, you're just, <laughs> yeah, just cut off my right arm. You, you just go. need to put <laughs> shorten your right arm by two inches. Oh come on, Tommy, you have to agree with me that that cup holder. And let's face it, people make it works. You stick it in the back. You never think about it. Oh, it's horrible. Why? How, how do you get at your drink? And if you, you look at this, that you said it yourself, the car is the size it, of a melon. And just you, pick it up. And if you put it, you know, next to the passenger, that hold, but you, you, your passenger. Did can't you enjoy it. your first generation Mazda RX-7? Is that a car you liked? I did. How many cup holders did that have? Well, Zero. The whole it had no cup oh, holders. Oh, for God's sake! That's you, like that's like saying, did you enjoy living in, uh, you know, before air conditioning? Yes, but I like it more now with air conditioning. I didn't know any better. No, it's uh, it, you're just being. I would have in high school. I would have loved to be able to to get my Fanta into a cup holder in my RX-7. It would have made me very happy, I promise you. They sold, um, I don't know, 2,600 or something. <laughs> a month or a year? In Q1 of 21. Oh, gee, that's probably what Ford sold in, in one week in Mustangs. I, but, Dad, that's great. I understand that Ford is selling a lot of Mustangs, and they sell a lot of them to rental car fleets, we should say. But it, it's a fine car. I love the Mustang. It's I, great. I, like, hey, you guys... You know, and I respect the company, you know, it's a very down-home, very, you know, it's, it's one of the few companies in this world uh, that is not driven by the usual, you know, suspects when it comes to making uh, money. Uh, you know, every, everything I've heard about Mazda and its corporate culture is that it's, you know, much different from 
rest of the car companies, and I respect that, but would have killed you to make it two inches bigger. That's all I'm saying. Just two inches. They, they, you can buy two one. Inches. It's called the NC. It's the worst one. You're welcome to have it, but it's bigger and heavier. There you go. The would, NC would Miata, killed, everybody. Would have killed you to make the modern the new one two inches the bigger. The NC was two inches bigger, and they made it smaller on purpose. They made it smaller. There you go. Well, then, then, then you know. Get a previous generation. Then, then you know, if, if you're good. Buy a 2014 Tommy, Miata. I'm like saying, if you're good with selling, you know. They're uh, not. Know, they're it, not it, doing it, it to sell 800,000 Miatas every year. I highly doubt that. But that's the, if a car, if a if a company isn't in business to make money, then what's the point? I, I, I'm sorry. Then then you should become a charity. Then build Miatas as a charity, Look, not, not as a not as a for profit. It's entity. a very compromised car, but you should be excited as an enthusiast. I'm not. I, I feel it's a forbidden fruit. I feel like what you missed the, an opportunity. What's a car that's more fun to drive than Miata? Any 911. For, okay, what's a car <laughs> for under $130,000 that's more you, fun to drive? I can get, you know, I'm serious. I can get a 996, right? And I'll fit in it. And from my perspective, a 996, which will cost $17,000, about $20,000 right now. It's is more, and I would, and, and I'm absolutely serious here. Because of the lack of room in a Miata, I would rather get a Porsche 996, right? Uh -huh. Then I would, and the 996 is like a 19, what, how old, 20 year old Porsche, the first. Yeah, no, that's great. You look like a 70 year old realtor from Tucson. That's a great, that's a great thing. No, then you look, oh, come on. If you're going to start that, I, I can go. 996, ahead. Dad, is a fine car. You look, you look like, you know, a British wannabe, uh, you know, driving around a Japanese car with your little hat. That's I mean, fine. Come on. But I'll have a warranty, and I will have full warranty. And yeah, Mazda build quality. You would have paid 17k more for it, and I'll have more fun, and it'll be quicker. You can get a Miata for 26,000 bucks, and I think around a track, it probably won't be much quicker than your 996, especially after 20 years of hard miles and bushings that need to be replaced. I just think that it's a really good little car, and we should be as enthusiasts happy that it's the last one that's still out there. There's no other competition to that car. Well, there you go, Mazda. Turn yourself into a charity, and then you can, you know, you, you, it's you, true. you can take donations and live on the love of the it's of the true. purest. There's no other. There's no other two-door affordable convertibles. <laughs> At then, one time, there were tons. And then, when you have to advertise it, you could ask your agency to also, you know, donate their work, and you can it's, be the first car company in the world to be a charity. That two-seater convertible right now are really out of vogue, and I think that's another reason they're not selling. It's just not a thing. Mercedes killed the SLK. BMW barely sells Z4s. So they're just putting along. Fiat barely sells 124s. I mean, there's just the tiny little market. All right, well, let us know what you think in the comments below. Maybe they should add a rear seat to it. Yeah, great. Let's just <laughs> let's just make it into another big, heavy, blobby thing. As always, this has been Tommy. That was a freebie for you, Dave. <laughs> yep, and my dad. Check out tfocar.com for the latest and greatest new car reviews. I see you guys next time. Ciao. Sorry if I was a little too animated there, but you know, this is how we talk at home. So now you're part of the dinner conversation. See you guys next time. Ciao. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.